Very good. This pumped to be in the house of God this morning. Such a privilege, such an honor. This year, we are doing what I'd like to call walking with Jesus. I'll just point it out. Uh, I think it's the first time we've heard it. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and that's the story of Jesus. And so as we go through that, it's kind of like we as a church are walking with Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. At the end of the year, spoiler alert, we're going to move on to the beginning of the book of Acts. So we're going to see not just what happened when Jesus was around, but what the disciples did with it after that. And because we want to uh, give you the whole picture of the story, we're going to read from the section that we're preaching from, and then I'm going to break it down. So I'm going to invite Ben up, and he's going to read the, the, the section, the passage that we're taking our message from this morning. Great. Thank you. Okay. Mark 3, 7 to 19 says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came over all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River and even from far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forwards to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground um, in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of Thunder. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Let's thank Ben. Oh. Don't you get the feeling that Jesus is like, he's pretty fun to be around? I'd like, I would love to be hanging out with the Son of God. And he's like, I'm going to nickname you the Son of Thunder. How cool is that? I'd love to be nicknamed the Son of Thunder. So this morning I want to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple? Here we've got a picture of Jesus calling his disciples. What does that even mean? Because you and I are called to be disciples of Jesus. But, but what does that mean? I mean, is this it? Is this Jesus' plan for us to, to read our Bible at home and learn about him and then come to church and, and hear some preaching and then learn about him? Is that it? Is that all we're called to do? Maybe we, maybe we are waiting for the pastor to pray for us and then we'll be blessed and our life will be blessed. Maybe, maybe someone else will, will pray for us and then we'll get a healing, someone really important, and then, uh, and then God will bless us and do wonderful things and make our lives comfortable. Is that it? Is that, is that what we're called to do? 
Because Jesus doesn't just call us to follow him so that we can just sit and, and learn in church or feel good or be healed. He actually has a plan for this world, but he has a plan for your life and he has a purpose for your life. Each of us and our plans and our purposes are knitted in to his plan and his purpose for this world. And so each of us has a part to play and it's more than just learning and training and hoping that one day we'll be ready to do something for Jesus. So this morning I've called my message, follow me into your calling. I'm not, talk- I'm not telling you to follow me, Brendan Skinner. This is Jesus saying, follow me. And we're going to follow him into our calling. I want to focus on Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. It says this, Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. (coughs) So it starts, verse 13, afterward Jesus went up on a mountain. Afterward, afterward what? After what? What's he just been doing? Does anyone remember? There's big crowds of people and many people need healing. Many people need demons cast out and they're all crushing around him to get to Jesus, to get to this man of God so that they can just touch him or get a healing or get a blessing or whatever it is that they need. They want to they push in. And there's so many people who need miracles. But afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain. So he also told the disciples, prepare a boat so that the crowd doesn't crush me. Seems to me, Jesus spends a lot of his uh, ministry kind of running away from the crowd. But if his main purpose was to just minister to people, to heal people, wouldn't he run to the crowd? Why does he keep removing himself from the crowd? So he says, afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain. He called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. So he's been doing all this ministry, he withdraws himself from the crowd, he calls his disciples, and basically, he starts a connect group. He gets 12 people around him, and he says, guys, I want you to follow me, I want you to come with me. In fact, before he calls the 12, it says, he called out those he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. There's actually more than 12 disciples around Jesus. We know there was also women following Jesus who went with him everywhere. And so there's a much greater number than 12 that are following him. And he called them to him. Then he appointed the 12. (coughs) The point is this. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, he is calling us out of the crowd. See, the crowd have many needs and they've come to Jesus to be healed, to to be taught, to receive something from him. But the disciples were those who'd stuck around and they were walking through life with Jesus. They were doing something more than just coming to receive something. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who doesn't just come to Jesus when I really badly need something. I, I, I definitely have been in that place in my life, especially... Many years ago, when I was a young Christian, it would be like hot and then cold, hot and then cold. It'd be like, oh my gosh, my life is in a turmoil. So you come to God, you're like, God, help me. I need your help, make this happen. Then he comes through for you like, God, awesome, thank you. I got this on my own now, I'm off. So it's like you're coming to Jesus and you're like, Jesus, heal me. And he does a miracle, you're like, thanks for that, I'm off. And that's it. So you just came to get something and then you leave. 
But I believe we are called to be disciples who don't just come in our hour of need, but we're always with Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you always. I want to do life with you. I want to involve you in every part of my life. And so for us in church, that's like getting involved in Connect Group and being here on a Sunday, getting involved in prayer meetings and, and doing your own private devotions where you're spending time with Jesus. So don't be in the crowd and just come to receive. Be a disciple. Turn to the person next to you and say, be a disciple. Disciple literally means somebody who follows. It's like a student or a pupil. <coughs> Apostle here has a small a, so it's not like the apostles that we think of, which is like, whoa, they're amazing. Like They just lead all these churches and they've got all this power. It's a small a apostle. Apostle just means one who is sent. So just, you can write that down if you want to. I mean, you don't have to. It might not change your life. So the first thing Jesus did is he left the crowd. He called his disciples. The second thing he did was appoint the 12. It says, then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. So basically it means he called them his people who he would send out. Imagine for a second what people had, would have been thinking when he called the 12 to him and they're like, okay, I'm going I'm to appoint you to be apostles. I can tell you what the crowd would have been thinking. I think. They would have been thinking, what are you doing? Jesus leaves, he goes up the mountain. There's, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people all over here. He's more popular than John the Baptist. People have come from much further. I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, where are you going? There's more people who need your healing here. There's more people who need your miracles. We need you to come and minister to us. We want you to come and serve us. And yet he leaves them to go and do something else. The disciples probably would have thinking, why is he pointing us? We're not qualified for this. Why do we need to be appointed as apostles when Jesus, the Son of God, is right there? Why would he send us out when he's right there? He, he's the most powerful man that I've ever seen. He's working miracles. He's healing people. He's preaching. He seems to, know, he seems to have an answer for everything without being a smart ass, which is a miracle in and of itself. And actually, sometimes he is a bit of a... Hey. And they're standing there thinking, why are you appointing us? Haven't you got this covered? The other disciples who weren't part of the 12, they probably would have been thinking... Oh, why did he pick them? I'm right here. They must be much holier than us. Why does Brendan get to preach? I could preach. Maybe Brendan's just much holier than I am. I'm not. I just got here first. The point is, if they were all thinking things like this, then they were suffering from something called MOGS. M-O-G-S. MOGS stands for man of God syndrome. This is a phrase that's coined by a man called Steve Murrell, who's the pastor of a church in the Philippines with tens of thousands of people. And he tells a story about how he came back from uh, doing something in America, back to his church in the Philippines, which he's a senior pastor of. And he, he met somebody in the, in the parking lot, this white guy. And he's like, hey, how's it going? And he shakes his hand. He's like, hey, how you doing? So I just moved into the area. Yeah, cool, where'd you move? And has a bit of a chat with him. He's like, I've just started coming here. Been, been coming for a couple of months now. And he's like, do you come here? He says to the senior pastor. And he's like, sometimes. 
You know, sometimes I come. And then as he's saying that, another uh, congregation member walks out and he says, Hi, Pastor Stephen, are you preaching this weekend? <laughs> he's like, oh, not this weekend. All right, see you later. And the white guy's standing there like, I've been talking to the senior pastor all along. The reason is because that church is not about the senior pastor. It's not all about this one man of God who's bringing the anointing every week. And if he doesn't rock up, well, I'm not going to church because the word's going to be no good and the anointing won't be there. Man of God syndrome is when people look up to senior leaders as some kind of Moses or Elijah figure from the Old Testament. They're going to bring the presence. It's their job to minister to us. Jesus taught servant leadership that's very different. He taught leadership that empowers people. Here he is appointing 12 apostles so that they can go and be sent. I realized that I suffered from a mogs. Just as it tend to the person actually say mogs. It's a funny name, isn't it? Man of God syndrome. So you can remember that. You know, we used to have youth conferences and uh, there would be a guest speaker that would come to the youth conference and you'd respond to the altar call, you'd go up the front and you'd be waiting there, waiting to be prayed for and you'd just crack your eye open like that to see who's going to come. Because what would happen is many young people would fill the altar and then, uh, and then the guest speaker would normally say something like, youth pastors, come and pray, come and help me pray. Because you can't pray for everybody. So you're standing there on the altar and you're like... Please get the guest speaker. <laughs> and, then, and then you'd realize, actually, the youth pastor that you've known for years, he, he's coming this way. And you're sort of counting the people between guest speakers coming that way. You know, there's three. There's three. And then they're praying for the person next to you. But then they're praying for the person next to you over here. And you're like, please be the guest speaker. Please be the guest speaker. And then the guest speaker walks off that way. And this person comes and they pray for you. Like, oh, well, nothing's going to happen now. It's not the real person who did the message and they call, I responded to their old call, not their old call. What the heck is good of that? We used to have youth events and it used to happen all the time when Kirsty and I uh, began a, as youth leaders and we used to go to those youth events and they would say the same thing. Youth pastors, come and pray. Now we were youth leaders, right? We didn't have a youth pastor there's like some debate about do you call him a pastor or a leader depending on how many people you're leading or if it's a pastor or whatever. So we're like, do they mean us? Youth pastors, come pray. It's just a Sydney thing. They, they just say youth pastors. They meant us, but we use that as an excuse to not pray. <laughs> We'd be like, oh, I, think, I think they mean holier people than us. I th- I'm pretty sure they mean like a proper part, like someone who's like proper, you know, like maybe like someone who gets paid like full time as a, you know, that's probably who they mean. So because we'll, they would be more anointed. We, I don't want, I don't want to ruin someone else's prayer opportunity because I'm not anointed enough. I'll leave them to be prayed for by more anointed people than, than I am. So we would excuse ourselves. Has anyone ever done that just in your own life? Like, you've got a friend maybe who has a need, and you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll bring them to church, and the pastor can pray for them. Or, or, or maybe I'll bring them to Connect Group. Connect Group leader can pray, because uh, that will probably be more effective than if I pray. It's not. Uh, it's, it probably will because you might never pray, because you're fr- afraid. Uh, but, but there's no extra anointing on the Connect Group leader or the youth pastor or the senior pastor than there is on you. This year, we went to youth camp at the beginning of the year, 
and I was still sort of overcoming my mogs. Um, <laughs> and we were praying for people, and uh, there was a woman named Stacy LaGreca who came to uh, preach. She was one of the guest speakers. And, uh, and then she said, youth pastors, come pray. I was like, I'll, I'm over the mogs thing, so I'll, I'll come up and pray. I know that I'm supposed to. There's less youth pastors in South Australia, so I know they mean me. I kind of have to go forward. And there was this girl standing on the altar, and uh, I looked at her. I wasn't quite sure if, you know, it's chaos at youth meetings. I mean, everyone's over, all over the place. Everyone's praying for people. Who knows who's been prayed for? So I just walked up to her. I said, have, have you been prayed for? And she said, oh. And I was like, have you, is, has someone prayed for you? She said, well, well Stacy, who's the guest speaker. And I was like, oh, okay, no worries. And she goes, but only briefly. <laughs> she, she, she just prayed really quickly. And I was like, ugh, all right, I'll pray for you. Because I had more time, you know. I'm not the guest <laughs> speaker. I'm not that anointed. So I'll spend a bit more time with her. And as I'm praying for her, I just feel the Spirit lead me in what to say. And she begins to cry. And she's touched and moved by the Spirit of God. Now, that's something that happened <clears throat> because I just had some time. Stacey LaGreca is awesomely anointed. She didn't have that much time. If she had to pray for everyone, she wouldn't have got through anybody. And so we need empowered leaders who are going to step up and minister to people. At youth camp, the same one, I prayed for a young man uh, who's from our youth ministry. And uh, and he went up on the altar call. And I (laughs) just don't judge me, okay? (laughs) But I thought to myself, I was like, I'll let someone else, I'll let someone else pray for him because he'll, he'll appreciate that more, you know? You know, Jesus came back to his hometown and he couldn't do any miracles because everyone was too familiar with him. I thought, yeah, I'll be too familiar for him, so I'll just, I'll, I'll wait till someone else pray. No one came to pray for him. He's just standing there waiting for ages. I'm thinking, he's made a big step to go forward. Like, he's never done this before. He's stepped out in courage and he's on the altar waiting for God to move. No one's praying for him. So I thought, oh, okay. I'll go up. I'll reluctantly go up the front. Do you need prayer? Yeah, yeah, just for some healing. All right, no worries. I pray for healing. We found out on Friday that for three months he'd been struggling with stomach aches, really bad stomach aches. And then at camp, it, it intensified and got way worse. And he said, when you, when you prayed for me ever since then, I haven't had any trouble with stomach aches. I've had not a single stomach ache. So, praise God. But... But I'm so proud of myself, <laughs> not because there's any like, power in me, but because I was bold enough to just say, well, I'll just let go of all the things of like, oh, I'm not anointed enough, or, or he wants someone better to pray for him or whatever, just so that God can move. And how glad are we that God did move? The special guest speaker doesn't have time to pray, everyone in the sa- pray for everyone in the same way that Jesus didn't have time to pray for everyone. And so he empowered the 12. <laughs> and luckily, it doesn't matter how much of a man of God you are because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and lives in me. And so we have access to that power. The problem with Mogs is... The trouble with Mogs is... No. That was meant to be the trouble with lovers, but I replace love with mogs. It makes the power of God inaccessible because it locks it up in one person. If you think the power of God is extra strong in that person because they're so high profile, 
then that means all of your friends who aren't high profile can't help you. It kills the culture of empowering others. If it's all about the man of God, then the man of God has to do all the ministering. If everyone's waiting for them to do the ministry, no one is ministering for themselves. It suggests that being a pastor or a traveling preacher is the ultimate expression of Christianity. So that means for you and me, we would be thinking to ourselves, all right, so if I want to really follow through with this Christianity thing and be the best Christian I can be, I have to be a pastor and I have to be paid full time, right? But that's so far from the truth. Maybe what you're gifted in, maybe what you're called to do, to be sent out to, like maybe you're called to your workplace or your family or, or your school or your university. Well, what's the good of you being paid full time to be a pastor? It's just going to remove you from the environment that you're ministering in. Often when you're paid full time, it just makes it harder. Because it's like, oh, now all I've got around me is Christians, <laughs> is church people. So, so don't be thinking that, that uh, oh man, if I just get paid full time, that's when I've made it as a Christian. That's a lie straight from hell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> things are getting serious. And what I want to point out here, lastly, on this, on this second point, is the disciples were not spiritual giants like sometimes we think they are. So Jesus is appointing his disciples, but they're not, they're not so spiritual. Like Thomas, until the very end, Jesus died, he rose again, he's fed 5,000 people, he's walked on water, he's done all these miracles, and at the end, he's died, he's risen again, Thomas sees him, and he said, show me the wounds, because I don't believe it yet. So, so he's, <laughs> like, how far behind is Thomas? We already believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and so we're already a step ahead. Judas betrayed Jesus, and yet he was chosen. Simon Peter hasn't yet had the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. So as far as we know, they're not even saved. Right? Are they, are, they, like, are they actually saved in the New Testament sense yet? We don't know. They haven't done much with him. They just heard him preach a bit. And yet here Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out to be my disciples to go and reach the world. So Jesus is calling you and he's calling me. And we might feel underqualified, but it's not in your power, it's in his power. And he's calling you to minister to the people in your world, regardless of how mature you are as a Christian or how immature you are as a Christian. Every one of us is called to minister. You could coin a phrase that is, every member a minister. Feel free to write that down or tweet that. The third thing Jesus did is he sent his disciples out. It says they were, they were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So the first thing Jesus does is he says, you're going to accompany me. So Jesus is already and will continue to equip them by getting them to basically come with him. He's going to show them stuff and, and, and they're going to observe him. And then they'll be sent out to just do that. We went to Cannes in, I think, 2011, which is a city south of France. And uh, we went there for the film festival film market. And we were there with our mentor, Mario. Mario. And uh, we, there was many meetings. People meet all over uh, the front strip of Cannes, in hotels and mostly in the lobbies. There's just meetings going on all over the place, mostly between producers and sales agents, people trying to sell films and buy films and the like. So... We went along as our first time. We're like rookie 
filmmakers, we've got no idea what we're doing. And Mario says, all right, just come along with me to some of my meetings. And we're sitting there being like, wow, Mario's so good at this talk thing, you know, like he's just great. He just like really gets people on side. And we're watching him be like, this is amazing. He's going he's gonna to do a great job of getting our film made. And then Mario says to us, all right, I want you guys to go and do a meeting of your own. With who? So, doesn't matter. Just find someone. Just meet them and tell them about the film. We're like, oh, okay. And we're just like hoping you'll forget about it. You know how someone asks you to do something and then you just don't bring it up again and hope that they'll forget? We went to this, we organized this meeting. I mean, I don't know how we even got the meeting. But we're sitting there, with, we're like, um, so our movie is like a movie about blah, 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 blah. Just talking way too fast. We've got this little brochure thing. We forget to get the brochure out and then we just shove it in their hands and they're like, okay. And they finish the meeting and they're like, we're interested. Uh, just keep us updated. And we're like, Mario, they said they were interested. Keep us updated. He says, yes, yes. That's what everybody says. Because <laughs> nobody wants to say no. They're not interested. <laughs> uh, it was a terrible meeting. But then we're like, all right, let's, let's give that another whirl. Because we did not do well in that meeting. So we came back to Mario. We're like, this is what we did. He said, ah, this is where you got to go. This is where you went wrong. This is what you got to do next time. So we go to another meeting. This other meeting, we're like, well-oiled machine. <laughs> we know all the mistakes we can make because we've made them all already. So now we're not going to make those mistakes and we're going to... And that was a good meeting, let me tell you. The point is this. Jesus says, I want you to start. I want you to go. I want you to begin. I want you to minister. Go and set up a meeting. With who? Find someone. Just find someone who needs ministering to. Go and minister. And then come back he, I mean, they're accompanying him everywhere he goes. So they'll come back to Jesus and be like, we tried to cast this demon out and it didn't work. And Jesus says to them, yeah, well, that's the demon that you have to fast and pray for before you can cast it out. I, if I was a disciple, I would have been thinking, well, why didn't you tell us that in the first place? But Jesus' training model is not, let's sit down and make sure that you're qualified and give you a degree and you go to Bible college and you study at Tabor and once you've got all the certificates and you can cover a wall with all the certificates of everything you've learned, then you're qualified to minister. No, Jesus says, go out and minister and I'll teach you as you go. So they're rookies. They don't know what they're doing. Some of us think that we have to become mature Christians before we can minister to others. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. They sound like men of God. Verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who are God's people? Us. To do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So it's us doing the ministry. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So verse 11, God gives mentors to the church. Verse 12, the church ministers. Verse 13, they mature. Most of the world counts like this. 11, 12, 13. Sometimes in the church we count like this. 11, 13, 12. He'll give us our mentors and then we'll study, 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 study and we'll mature and mature and become really, really mature and then finally we are ready 
to minister. Here's the problem with that. We mature by ministering. So we only get mature by ministering to people. When people do the Best Life Basics course, when I do it with them, it's like a new Christians course that we have in this church. If you haven't done it, you should do it. Even if you're a mature Christian, you should do it so that you can uh, teach others. Uh, Whenever I do that with people, I like to say to them somewhere close to the end, you know, one day you'll be doing this with somebody else. You'll be teaching somebody else. Really? But I've only been a Christian for two months. Yeah, but the person you'll be doing it with will only have been a Christian for two weeks. So to them, you're like a spiritual giant. You know everything there is to know. So they'll just keep asking you questions, and then you'll be like, and then you'll come to me, and you'll be like, what am I supposed to say about this? And then I'll tell you, actually, I'll probably go to Pastor Chris and be like, what are they supposed to say about and, and we'll find the answers together, and then you can help them. All you have to do to minister and to disciple people is stay one chapter ahead in the Bible. It's really easy. No, I mean, none of us are biblical scholars like we could be, but doesn't mean we're unqualified. So if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you can disciple someone who's only read half of Matthew. You know, all the spoilers. So here's, here's what we can do right now. Find a mentor. You can start with a connect group leader. It's a good spot to start. If you're a connect group leader, I hope that you know who you can go to. The second thing you can do is get involved in connect group. But get involved as a connect group leader who looks outwards. Don't be like, we're going to have a group and we're going to sit here and minister to ourselves and only ever look inwards. Because Jesus started the connect group for the purpose of sending them out. So go to connect groups so that you can be equipped to go out and minister. And then pray for people. Heal the sick. If you see a demon, cast it out. That's a whole other message. Help meet people's practical needs. Get involved in people's lives. Why don't you share with others what Jesus is doing in your life? Spread the good news. J. John tells a story of when he first became a Christian and he started a connect group with some homeless people because he met a homeless guy on the side of the road, said he'd buy him breakfast. Then, then the homeless man said, can we do this every week and can I bring my friends? So he said, sure, but only if I can teach you about the Bible. He'd just become a Christian the day before. So he's having this meeting with his friend Andy, who's uh, been a Christian for a little longer, and he's, he's teaching him J. John stuff. And J. John's then going to the, the, the breakfast meeting with the homeless people and, and teaching them. And he said, you know... Like, J. John now is an international evangelistic speaker. Like, he, he nails it. He said, when I first started, I'm sitting there, and my message is this. God, good. The devil, bad. Very bad. And that's it. That's good. That's a good message. Some people need to hear that. You just got to start where you are. Jesus is calling you and I to be ministers. And as we minister we will mature. Why don't you stand as the band comes? <laughs> this is the last message in this, in this series, Follow Me. But I really believe that even though we're finishing this series, we're laying a foundation for the rest of the year as we preach through Mark and Acts. You see, Jesus appointed the disciples and he said they were to accompany him so that they could be sent. 
As a church this year, we're going to be accompanying Jesus. We're going to be walking through his life and his ministry here on earth. But my prayer is is that we would not just come and listen and learn so that we can feel like we're, we're growing in our knowledge of Jesus. My prayer is that the same thing would happen for us that it did for his disciples that he appointed. That we would hear the call, that we would respond to the call, and that we would be sent out. And as we come and hear about Jesus and walk with him, that would be like us returning to Jesus and being equipped for the ministry that we are doing. For every member is a minister. Every one of us is called to be a minister. So my prayer is that we would learn from him, that we would be challenged by him, we'd be grown by him, we'd be sent out by him, that we would come back to him, we would learn from him, we would go out and minister. All of this is not for you, it's for the people that you're able to reach. So why don't you lift your hands, why don't you close your eyes? Let's pray. Holy God. right now God is calling people to ministry not to be in the ministry but to minister Holy Spirit reveal to each one of us the people in our lives that we can reach the people in our lives that we can touch God we pray for boldness to come upon us pray for opportunities to minister to people. We pray your spirit would encourage us to step out in faith, believing that your power flows through us, that we can see sick people healed, that we can see lost people saved, that we can see broken people restored. Father, give us words to say, give us things to pray. Right now, as you lift your hands to heaven, I'm praying that God will pour out spiritual gifts over every one of us. Holy God, you've given every one of us gifts that you want us to use for your kingdom, for your purpose. Father, we pray you would unlock those. You would unleash those in our world. Help us practice using them, God. Help us practice sharing with people. Help us practice encouraging people. We pray, Father, that private sharing would turn into preaching. The encouragement would turn into prophecy. God, we pray that our private prayer time would turn into words of knowledge. Father, we pray that the small faith we have would grow into faith that can move mountains, into faith that can have miracles working in the lives of the people around us. God, we pray that every person would have such a power moving through their lives that people around them can see the miracle power of God is on that person. Jesus Christ lives in them. 
His kingdom has come. His will is being done here on earth like it is in heaven. Holy God, we don't want to just sit and learn and train until we walk through heaven's gates. God, we want to be your hands and feet here in this world. We want to be your ministers. We want to see people's lives changed. I love the story in the Old Testament where somebody is called and they respond, Here I am, Lord. Send me. That needs to be us. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Why don't you just say that right now? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Right now, Father, I pray for every spirit of discouragement that it would leave in Jesus' name that people who feel unqualified would recognize they are qualified in you, God. May your Spirit bring great encouragement right now. Holy Spirit, give us faith to see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just picture right now an area of your life where you would be able to minister. Maybe it's a workplace, maybe it's a school, maybe it's a university, maybe it's your home, maybe it's with your friends, maybe it's with your family. Let's turn this place into a prayer meeting for two minutes. Why don't you begin to pray for the people in that world, the people that you can touch, the people that you connect with. Holy God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You live in every one of us. That we carry your presence into every area of our lives. God, fill us right now. Fill us right now so that we're full and we're equipped, we're empowered to go and be your ministers. Father, we pray for salvations. We pray for healings. Pray for, he- pray for miracles, God. Thank you, Father. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is living inside us. We can take it into our world and change it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll just remain standing for a minute. I want to close, but... Before I do that, I have to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you've never made a decision to follow after Jesus, I want to do that right now. So would you just close your eyes once again? With every leader praying, I want to to give you the opportunity. If you're here and you don't know Jesus personally, He's calling you out this morning. You see, Jesus is God revealed. To know Jesus is to know God. For people to come to Jesus, they didn't, they didn't have to be a certain kind of person or from a certain kind of background. They didn't have to sort themselves out and get their life in order and become a better person before they came to Him. 
All they had to do was be willing to leave their old life behind and to follow. He opened his arms to everybody. It's unconditional love. It's love that turns lives around. It's a love that can turn your life around. The same love is here today and he's calling you. He's offering you forgiveness from the past. He's offering you a new life today. He's offering you hope for the future. He died on the cross to pay the price for the things that you've done wrong so you could be forgiven and know God personally. So if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to put up your hand and we can pray together. If you've made that decision in the past, but you've walked away from him and you want to come back this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Maybe you don't know whether if you died tonight, if you'd be going to heaven, you don't have any assurance that you have a place in heaven, in eternal life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's the same prayer because Jesus' arms are open to every one of us if we want to come to him and have him as the center of our life. So if you're here this morning and you're one of those three people, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If if you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you want to come back to him this morning, or if you want assurance that you're going to heaven when you die, if that's you here this morning, would you raise your hand right now so I can see it? And we'll pray together. Thank you, I see that hand. Awesome, you can put it down again. Is there anyone else here this morning who wants to make that decision? We'll pray together, ask Jesus to come into your life. Just wait a couple more moments. Fantastic. You can open your eyes. That is the best decision that you could ever make. And I would love to pray with that person, so I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Would you come and stand out the front here and we'll pray together? Awesome. You can bring your friend if you want to, or your girlfriend. Come on, let's welcome him. Hey, man, that's so awesome. You don't have to face them. That's a little bit nerve-wracking. Fantastic. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. All right, let's pray. So, so pretty simple we're just going to introduce you to Jesus and you can repeat after me to make it simple all right dear Jesus I ask you to come into my life we can all pray this together I leave my old life behind and I come to you thank you for dying on the cross so I can be in relationship with you Be with me for all my days. Amen. Awesome. Fantastic. Man. We have someone. We have someone come and chat to you afterwards. Looking for it. Fantastic. Awesome. So this week, what are you going to do differently to be a minister of the gospel? I can't answer that. You have to answer that.